Hi, everyone, and welcome back to The Virtual Voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. I'm your host, Abigail Snyder, and this is the Armchair Travel Show, where you don't have to leave your comfort zone. If your comfort zone is your car, you stay there. If your comfort zone is your dorm room, you stay there. And if your comfort zone is your living room, you stay there. Last time, we had walked to the Western Wall through the market in the old city of Jerusalem, and we learned about the history of the Western Wall, and we also had a chance to worship there. We were heading across the Western Wall Plaza to the Western Wall Tunnels when we ran out of time. So let's pick up right where we left off and join me as we walk over the tunnels. As we're walking over, let me explain a little bit about what we're about to see. So we only see a portion of the Western Wall up here at ground level when we're looking at it. However, there's actually a lot more below us that we only get to see if we take the exclusive tour by knowing about the tunnels. Now, you're with me, so you are good. Follow me up the ramp here, and let's head inside before we set out on the tour. Okay, I have to grab the tickets, so wait here really quickly, and I'll be right back. Okay, follow me. Let's enter this first tunnel to go down beneath the wall and unearth some of its most epic secrets. Now, I want you to see this first stone over here, and it may not even look like a stone, but, but come here. Look at this. This is a massive, massive piece of stone that was quarried. See, King Herod actually had all of his people go ahead and quarry these stones, and then people had to drag them over. They didn't have machines. They didn't have power tools, right? They had to actually drag them over and set them in place. It took even up to a dozen men to move a stone. This one we're looking at right here, you may not even think it's a stone, but it really is. It's 45 feet by 10 feet. That's crazy. And it's the biggest stone in the Western Wall called the Western Stone. Any guesses as to how much it weighs? It's actually 520 tons. Okay, so now that we've seen the Western Stone, let's walk a little farther. Now, you may wonder why I'm stopping you here. It looks like another wall and, and just a blockage, but this is actually now blocked entrance to the Temple Mount, and it would have been used by people ascending to the temple for worship, so they would have gone right through that passage that now is blocked up to the temple. So cool. I, I just love that Israel has so many unique sites and, and so many uh, so many historical places all contained in such a small area. I mean, we're here at the Western Wall, and we're going to see so much that I don't think you can get anywhere else. Okay, follow me. We have to continue on the tour. Now, let's stop here. You may wonder why you see a bunch of women and notice it's only women praying. Well, right here, this is a spot where Jewish women actually come to pray because they believe that this is the closest spot they can get to the Holy of Holies, actually even closer than the Western Wall that we were at earlier. And they're crying as they, as they pray for the temple to be rebuilt and pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Let me make a note that there are actually discrepancies on where the Holy of Holies actually is. See, some people place the Holy of Holies and, and where it used to be inside the temple farther to the side of the platform. And some people say it's, it's right in the middle where the Dome of the Rock is now. You know, there's convincing evidence for both sides in all honesty. But as the Jews say, when their Messiah returns, he will know exactly where the Holy of Holies is and he will have them build the third temple in the right spot. So it's really a non-issue for them right now. But these women, some of them are believing that, that the temple, the Holy of Holies, was over to the side. So we're actually over to the side of the Temple Mount right now. And so that's why they're praying here. Continue to walk underground with me. This is so cool, isn't it? I just love being in here and, and getting to experience the secrets of the wall. Now, stop here. This is what I consider to be the best part of the entire tour. And you may wonder why I'm making a big deal about this. Look down. I mean, it's just a slab of marble on the ground, just like everything else. But... 
It is so much more. It's actually this ancient Roman street that's been dated to the time of Jesus. And this street right here that we are standing on would have literally led up to the Temple Mount. I mean, the likelihood of Jesus himself walking on this is extremely high. And we are standing here. A lot of times we wonder about the authenticity of sites, right? We don't really always know. And, and we have historical records and then we're trying to place the historical records to a certain area. And, and we just can't always be sure. But I would dare say that we don't even need to wonder, really, as we're standing here uh, on, on, this piece of, on this piece of marble, on this slab. Okay, now we're going to walk in a really narrow tunnel for just a few hundred feet to get to the end of the tour. Now, if, if you're claustrophobic, just come up to the front here with me. It's okay. It's going to be over soon. It can look intimidating. I know we're underground. It's a very narrow passageway. The ceilings are low. But here on the virtual voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM, we leave no man behind. Oh, look at that. Do you, do you hear the drops of water? Can, can you hear that? Your ears aren't deceiving you. That's the Struthian Pool. It also marks the end of our tour. See, we believe that King Herod, the same one who created the Western Wall, actually made the Struthian Pool, and, and the pool would collect rainwater, and, and later it was used uh, in, in the midst of the old city for, for water and whatnot, but we believe that he's the one who really built that. Now, notice that there's a large concrete wall that seals off part of the pool. There actually is another side to this pool. The other side is a convent, and they sealed it off when, it, when the pool itself was discovered in the 1800s, I believe, and, and they didn't want people coming over onto their side. So we can't get over there. And this does create a little bit of a logistical problem because now we're at the end of the tour of the, of the Western Wall Tunnels, and we have to actually get back to the starting point. Well... What we're going to do now is we're actually going to take a Muslim uh, or a security guide back with us through the Muslim quarter to the Western Wall, and we're going to regroup there. Uh, the reason we take a security guard really is only because uh, it's out of an abundance of caution. Like I've said time and time again, Israel is very safe, right? But we're walking into the Muslim quarter, and there have been some tensions in the past with Israel wanting to create additional exits out of the Western Wall because people do come through here a, a good amount uh, to, to go on the tunnel tours. And like I said, we can't go across to the convent and exit that way. So at one point, the only way to exit after the tour was actually to retrace our steps. And you can imagine uh, how that might go. I mean, remember some of those narrow passageways? I mean, you couldn't even fit two people in there. Think about a huge group, two huge groups trying to get by each other. It, it just doesn't work. So now this way out through the Muslim quarter of the old city of Jerusalem market is a good option. But retracing your steps, that also works as well. You know, as I like to say, options are great. Now we're back out into the market. You know, I always enjoy using all my senses to experience the market. Okay, maybe not taste right now because I want to get over to our next stop before they don't let tourists in anymore because it's getting late. But if there's anywhere in the world where you can get sensory overload, it's definitely in the Old City Market. Okay, so we're all here. Great. I'd like to walk out of the Western Wall Plaza and down to the City of David. Now, the City of David is a really cool place, pretty close from here. We just have to cross two streets, and we are here. Okay, I'll go get the tickets again. Now, you can enjoy sitting down and taking a rest, or if you're like my siblings, you can go ahead and get on your hands and knees and try to find cracks, or try to find money, in the cracks of the deck that we're standing on. Have you noticed there's a trend with them? They're always trying to find money. Okay, I'm back with the tickets. So what we're going to do first here at the City of David is before we even go down and look at the palace, before we go into the very fun spot of Hezekiah's Tunnel, we're actually going to walk up the stairs here 
and we're going to go overlook the Kidron Valley. That's the valley in between the Temple Mount and the Mount of Olives. Now, as you're looking at this, you're, you're probably thinking, wow, that seems really shallow. That, that doesn't look much like a, like a valley. I mean, yes, it does, but it's not that deep. Well, note that it used to be a lot deeper. You know, in Jesus' time, it was, it was very deep, and you couldn't actually just walk across from this side to the Mount of Olives. There actually, I believe, was even a bridge you had to use to cross. Now, today, barring all the thorns you might, you might step in, you could actually walk over from this side of Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives. Um, and there, there is a path by which you can do that. Later, we'll actually go to the Mount of Olives. But right now, I want to just point out a few key sites while we're up here. First, we see the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, that's over here on the left. Now, you see those trees? Exactly. They kind of look like Christmas trees, but not really. Yep, that's the spot. That's the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's where the disciples fell asleep as Jesus was praying on the night of his arrest, and then the Romans came to arrest him. So that's where that happened. Okay, just follow. A oh, yeah, you're going to see it just fine because it is. Uh, it looks like a cemetery, right? All the, all the tombstones, and, and that's the Mount of Olives Jewish Cemetery. You actually have to be Jewish to be buried there, and you also, it's also generally for respected people. It's, it's pretty hard to, to get buried there. It's quite an honor. There are many churches up here. I'm not going to point every single one of them out. There are some famous churches on that side, and almost every denomination, I feel like, has a church up there. And then across from here, look to the right a little more. You'll see this, this Arab village. It's called the village of Silwan. So all those, all those houses on the, on the side, those are all part of the Arab village there. And I want you to look really closely here, here over here. You're going to see this tomb cut out in the rock. I mean, can you, can you see it? It has the little window there. Yes, yes, right by the house with the flag. You got it. So we believe that's one of the tombs uh, or a tomb of, Sol of one of Solomon's wives. In 1 Kings 3, 1, we, we uh, read that, Then Solomon formed a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. So that marriage alliance that happened and, and Pharaoh's daughter, whom Solomon married, we believe that's actually her tomb. So that's a cool little site, still one, and the tomb of Pharaoh's daughter. Anyways, now that we've gotten a good view of the Kidron Valley and, and some of the Mount of Olives and you've taken your pictures, let's walk back down. How about you just sit here in the shade and let me talk about King David. So King David was the king of Israel after the first king, who was Saul. And Saul's kingship was ultimately taken from him, as we know from the biblical account, because his disobedience uh, to God and God's commands was not tolerated. So Samuel the prophet ended up anointing David as the next king, according to God's command. And, and when Saul died in battle, David became the official king of Israel. And Israel found a great amount of success under him. Ultimately, David was not the one who built the temple, as we know. Solomon, his son, did that because God didn't want a man of such bloodshed and a warrior like David building his resting place. But we know from the scriptural accounts that David was truly a man after God's own heart. So we're in the city of David, and based on archaeological excavations, in my opinion, this makes the most sense to be the palace of King David. There was a 2005 excavation done by Elat Mazur, who's an Israeli, uh, Israeli archaeologist, and she actually uh, ended up dating what we're about to go down and see as, as the palace ruins to the time of David. Obviously, there are discrepancies. Anything in archaeology can't necessarily be proven 100%, and there are many different time periods all throughout the city of Jerusalem and in Israel. So we're not completely sure. But let's go ahead and walk down right now. Get on up. We can do it. Let's walk down to the, what, what we believe to be the palace ruins. So to you, it may not look anything more than a, a bunch of stones, and, and that's fair. But I want you to try to imagine this being this huge structure where King David would have had all his glory. 
it would have been one of the most magnificent places in all of Israel, being the palace. Now, walk down here just a little farther and then look up. Look straight up. Do you see how tall that is? I mean, it is a massive structure, even though it just is a bunch of stones right now. Now that we've seen the palace, let's keep following the trail down farther to one of my favorite spots in all of Israel, and that is Hezekiah's Tunnel. It is an underground, yes, underground tunnel with fresh water flowing through it. It's about a third of a mile long, and it's going to take us anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes to get through. I will say my family once sprinted through it in maybe 10 or 15 minutes, but we would frequently visit the Hezekiah's Tunnel, and we kind of just wanted to get wet at that point. We just wanted to cool down. But for our first time going through it, we want to truly savor the experience. So as we're going down farther and farther, we have to go literally underground. I want to stop here. Now, we're standing on this recently man-made platform and we're overlooking something. And you may wonder why I'm having a stop, but this is actually a really cool place. Look down, because right there, that's where we believe Solomon, David's son, was anointed as king. In 1 Kings 1, chapter 1, verse 32, we read that King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. And they came into the king's presence. The king said to them, Take with you the servants of your Lord and have my son Solomon ride on my own mule and bring him down to Gihon. Let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him there as king over Israel and blow the trumpet and say, Long live King Solomon. We're actually at that spot, the Gihon, where we believe he was anointed. So, so Solomon was anointed either in this spot or a spot very, very close to it. You know, that's a fun spot we really just can't miss. Like I've said, there's so much history and so much overlap at Saints in Israel. I just don't think it's like any other place on earth. Well, let's continue walking. It's starting to get more damp and, and slippery. The handrails are definitely nice for us there. Oh, do you, do you hear the water? I, I do. That's actually the Gihon Spring. Now, the Gion Spring, it's a fresh water source coming into Jerusalem that the people use for water. Now, at one point, the Assyrians were actually going to lay seeds to Jerusalem, and it's believed that King Hezekiah created Hezekiah's tunnel as a, way, as, as a way to make sure that a basic need being water was available. And that's detailed in 1 Chronicles 32. Well, we're getting so close. At this point, I'll just say that if anyone doesn't feel comfortable going in the water, it's cold and can get up to your hip. The dry Canaanite tunnel is the way to go. Also, if you're claustrophobic, I'd suggest that. I've gone in there a few times when I forgot my water shoes. Uh, sometimes, like I said, my family, we would stay at a house in Jerusalem maybe 15 minutes from, from the city of David, and so we'd come down here frequently just to splash through the water. But one time, I wore my sneakers, and I did not want to get my sneakers wet, so I went through the dry tunnel. My mother, on the other hand, she had sneakers on and still was brave enough to go through the, uh, the, the, the Hezekiah's tunnel. So unique little time there. The dry cane that tunnels, tunnels nice, it's shorter, um, it has some lights, you will not get wet, so it's a good experience. All The only thing you're going to have to note is when you come out of the dry cane that tunnel, take a right and go down and follow the signs to uh, the Siloam pool. And the pool of Siloam, and once you get there, just stop and we'll be a few minutes behind you. Okay, everyone else, finally, we are here. If you brought a headlamp, put that on. A phone camera is also good. It's going to be pitch black inside of Hezekiah's tunnel. It's also very narrow, very low at certain points because we're literally underground, right? You have to understand that men carved this without power tools. They chipped away at this rock until they met at a point in the middle. There were two sides working to come together. There's actually an inscription at the point where they, they met 
and that inscription has been taken by archaeologists, and it's now sitting in Israel's in, in Israel's main museum, being the Israel Museum. But when we when we get to that point where the inscription would have been, uh, there's a copyright there that we'll see, and I'll read you the translation. Oh my goodness, you can just feel the fresh water rushing along. It's so cold, your feet and legs go numb at some point. It's dark, and you know I can almost hear the men from thousands of years ago working hard to get the tunnel done with that impending siege. I mean, sometimes, just join me in this, I put out my hands to the side and I feel the cracks and, and crevices in the rock that they created through hard work. Okay, we've been walking through this water and splashing through for about 25 minutes and we're coming up on the inscription that I promised you about. See the copy right here on the side? When archaeologists found it, it took them a little bit to figure out what it said because this was a more basic form of the written language of Hebrew. Hebrew, like most other languages, has evolved over time, and, and there have been several alphabets used over the years. So, so the inscription, when they first found it, took a little bit of uh, a little bit of finagling because they had to understand a more primitive form of Hebrew. But what it says, and try to imagine these men writing this as they're as they're finally understanding that they're going to be prepared more so for the siege. This is what they wrote: the tunnel, and this is the story of the tunnel. While the axes were against each other. And while three cubits were left cut, the voice of a man called to his counterpart, for there was Zada in the rock on the right. And on the day of the tunnel being finished, the stonecutter struck each man towards his counterpart, axe against axe, and flowed water from the source to the pool for 1,200 cubits. And 100 cubits was the height over the head of the stonecutters. So cool to think about them writing that. And we are literally here at that point where they met up. Well, we just have a few more minutes left in Hezekiah's tunnel, and it's so fun. You know, my siblings would sometimes try and swim, although the water really isn't deep enough to do that because it only goes up to maybe your, your knee, your hip, right? But, well, they're Americans. They're used to pools, which Israel doesn't have a, a lot of pools around, so they would go ahead and try to do that. Now, I always know we're right at the end because the water level rises a bit more just at the end, and I'm seeing some sunlight. We made it! We come out into the small little pool area, which we'll talk about later, and we have to climb out. Oh, what fun. So, now that you're out, look back. I mean, can you imagine trying to create that with just a primitive chisel and hammer? Crazy! But they did it. Now, you can probably appreciate more why they didn't make it extra spacious. There's been a more recent excavation found in the city of David at the end of Hezekiah's tunnel that I really want you to see. So, let's get out of the tunnel here and walk up to ground level. We're coming up on it, this, this pool of sorts, and this is the Pool of Siloam. This is thought to have been created by King Hezekiah as a place where water could come and pool during the siege so that they could get the fresh water. At the end of Hezekiah's tunnel, remember how we came out into this little area? That, was a, that, that area was originally thought to be the Pool of Siloam, but now we recognize that to be the lower pool. Uh, there were excavations done in 2005, and they revealed this upper pool that we're standing on right now, and this is thought to be the real Pool of Siloam. Now you can see the steps down to the bottom. They actually haven't excavated all the way to the bottom yet because the problem is is that to go all the way to the bottom would require them to go past that fence we see right in front of us, which means it's not in the city of David proper that they have access to. But I mean, think about this. Jesus was literally here on these very steps. I mean, we read in John 9 about how Jesus healed the blind man from birth and, and how then Jesus put some spit and some mud on his eyes and Jesus commanded him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And the blind man regained his sight. I mean, that is where we're at. Well, now it's time to head back up the very steep hill to the city of David. And then we have to go and, and 
come out of Hezekiah's tunnel, right? I mean, it's, we're pretty far down. Uh, we, we were underground, and now we have to go all the way up to where we were in the past, and that means that we're going to have to go uphill. And it means that you're going to get a great calf workout in the process. Well, at this point, we finally made it out of the city of David, and I am starving. I mean, I would love some dinner. What about you? So, you know, there's this place that I think you'll really enjoy. It has falafel and shawarma. Now, falafel is fried chickpea balls. It is delicious. Oh, this crunchy exterior, soft and pillowy middle, all made from ground-up chickpeas and spices. I mean, it is just what we deserve after this long day. And shawarma, well, that's meat that's been roasted and cut into strips, and then it's put inside this, this hot piece of pita bread. You add some tomatoes, some lettuce, I mean, some pickles, cucumbers, onions, really whatever you want, and maybe some variety of non-dairy sauces, right, because of kosher restrictions not allowing meat and milk to be mixed. Well, that's a meal that cannot be beaten. Mm. Now that we've had some authentic Israeli cuisine, let's walk back up Jaffa Street to the hostel. And we're finally here. Laila Tov! And that is Hebrew for good night. Sleep well, my friends. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Virtual Voyage, the armchair travel show with me, Abigail, on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I hope you'll tune back in next time as we stay in Jerusalem and see sites you won't want to miss. Have you ever wanted to visit King David's tomb? What do you think about seeing the altar that the Jews plan to use for sacrifices for the third temple? All that and more next time on The Virtual Voyage.